Hey guys, it is great to be connecting with you here today in whatever way that you are connecting with us uh, this morning. Now I'm going to have to go ahead and call out something that's pretty obvious. This is such a crazy and wild time. I mean, we're talking to the first time to our solely online audience, and I'm standing here right this very moment speaking to an empty room. This, these are wild, wild times that we have before us. And for some of you, uh, you're, you're part of our White Oak family and you're joining in online with us today. Maybe for others, you're joining in because you just kind of happened across the feed or maybe someone invited you to come and watch. And we're really glad that you're with us too, because what I want to say to everybody is that we are with you, that we are in this together. We're all searching for community in a season like this season. We're all uh, desire to, to make a difference, and we feel like this urgency to, to do something for someone else, and we all share the same or similar fears. But what I want to tell you today is that none of what is happening now surprises God, and that God, our Heavenly Father, does not feel stressed in this moment. In fact, there's nothing that can interrupt the plans that our Heavenly Father has for us. He made and created our, our church body, this body of believers, and he gave us what we need. He equipped us with what we need to be the distributors of hope. And so White Oak, it's time for us to flex a little bit. It's time for our body to get up and to stretch and to go and to do. If you've ever had a recovery from an injury or maybe from a surgery, you know that, that you've got to tell your body what to do so to make sure that it's doing it, that it's performing its function. Because if we don't tell our body to do what it was created to do, then, then you started to experience lethargy or your muscles contract and weaken, and your body functions begin to fail. That's why we feel that God has called our church to be his body, and we were made to connect. And so when Chris was up here a little bit ago, he talked about this connect for concept, that we would love for you and your family every day to commit to two things, four acts of love every day. Simple things that you or your family can do to show others that you're thinking of them, that you're praying for them, that you're, you're, you're shouting out hope into their world. Four acts of love, and then that you would just pause four times a day and pray. Just worship God. Ask him to work in your life. Ask him to intercede in the lives of other people. You see, when we start moving our bodies after a time where maybe we haven't really been functioning the way that God has asked us to function, sometimes you start, you feel a little pain. If you go to the gym and you work out one day really, really hard, but you haven't been there in several months, you're going to wake up that next morning and there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some soreness. There's going to be some concern still. And this is all very new for us, but I want to tell you, White Oak, that's okay. Our Father isn't surprised by this, and we are with you. You know, I think we all know these people in our lives who intrigue us because of their outlook on life. 
I think we all know these people that something kind of frustrating or maybe some fears or something painful can come into their life. And they seem, whether that's like financially or, re, or relationally, or, or maybe there's just stress at work or, or at school, uh, or their futures seem to be in limbo. And we all know these people. This, these things can be happening in their lives. And yet, they seem to always be filled with joy. They're the ones that in these last week, couple weeks, they've been posting like scripture on social media while the rest of us have been like screenshotting Mike DeWine's next calamity report or empty store shelves. All right. Now these people, sometimes we wonder, um, they, they've got this piece that defies logic, right? So maybe it's, maybe they're faking it. Maybe they're just in denial. Like we say, like, what do you mean you don't have like 900 rolls of toilet paper stored at your house? Like, aren't you concerned? And so these people sometimes frustrate us. And I'll tell you, sometimes these people that I come across in my life, they frustrate me because I wish I were like that. And sometimes they intrigue and inspire us because they're not faking and they're not in denial. They just have this trust in God that like steadies them in life. And some of you may be following Jesus now. Some of you may be watching online now because at some point in your life, you bumped into a person like this. And they can be frustrating. And they can be inspiring. But if you were to ask them why, if you were to ask them why this hope, why this, this, this joy, why this, this peace, do you know what they would say? They would tell you about an experience they had. They would tell you about something that happened which confirmed for them that there is a God and a heavenly father who loves them desperately and who is active in their life and who is worthy of their trust. And they would tell you that not based on something that they heard or something that they were just taught to believe or not based on simple church attendance, but based on a real-life experience that they've had as they've been walking with Jesus. It's the same thing John said 2,000 years ago. We're going to be in John today in the New Testament of the Bible. Starting, uh, We're going to be in John chapter 20, and we're going to be starting in verse 30. This is what John says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John was recruited by Jesus one day when he's with his brother and his father in a fishing boat on shore, and they're mending nets Okay, and Jesus walks by and points to them, and he says, come follow me, and they drop their nets, and they go. Now, the issue for many of us is that we had a similar experience, which John starts out with. At some point in many of our lives, someone walked by and said, you know what? You should follow God. You should believe in Jesus. You should put your faith in him. You should be baptized. You should go to church, you should be good, and then you should be better. And for some of us, that worked. We answered that call, and we did just that, and we believed because someone told us we should. But then something happened. 
And it probably didn't happen suddenly, but I would say for most of us, it happened kind of over time. It happened to our teenagers, to our young adults, to our college students sitting in a lecture hall or, or someone watching a video online. It happened to our moms and dads, our husbands and wives, and to our older adults. Over time, we didn't really feel anymore that just to leave our nets in the boat and go and follow just because someone told us to follow, that wasn't enough anymore. So the fisherman, John, he wrote this narrative of Jesus' life. And John tells us that he was an eyewitness to the things that Jesus was doing. The miraculous things that Jesus did, John saw them. And he, and he saw many of these things, and he, he experienced many of these things in his life. And he said, there are so many things that Jesus did. Like, there are so many miracles that Jesus performed. Like, I couldn't even fit them all in my book. But then he tells us plainly why he wrote what he did. So that we would believe. So that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that our faith would bring us full life through him. See, John was a bystander. He was there. He saw what Jesus did. He experienced what Jesus did in his own life, and he saw it play out in the lives of others as well. And so here's what John tells us. He tells us, he reminds us that Jesus didn't just ask us to have faith, okay? Jesus didn't just ask us to believe because he said so. But Jesus asked us to have faith in him because he would show us who he is. So here's the big idea for today. And, and if you're, uh, you're at home right now, um, I gra- grab something and write this down because I think you're going to want to remember this. Believe Jesus' words and behave as if they can be trusted. Believe Jesus' words and behave as if they can be trusted. Look at what John recounts in chapter 4 of his narrative. And we're going to be in verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he, being Jesus, came to Cana, and where he had turned water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. There are other translations that say this man was a royal official. Maybe he was part of the household of the Jewish monarchy. But what we do know is he, he was nobility at birth. He was wealthy. He had high status. And we also know what many of, of Jewish religious leaders at the time believed, that he came from a background that was, was very deterministic. Life was determined for you. It was very fatalistic. It was this. The, the, the theology and the philosophy of the day for, the Jew, for many of the Jewish people was this, that if good things happened to you, then you were blessed and, and God saw what looked favorably on you. But if, God, but if bad things happened to you, or let's say to those you care about, then it must mean that you were cursed and that God was looking unfavorably on you. There's nothing you could do about it. There's no way that you could get out of it. You were born into whichever place you were born. But this man travels 20 miles. When he hears Jesus is in a town nearby, he travels 20 miles. He doesn't send his servants, but he just goes himself. 
And he goes and he doesn't bring his, his title and he doesn't bring his status and he doesn't bring his wealth. He doesn't even bring his theological views that probably disagreed with Jesus. No, this man came to Jesus this day as a desperate dad. See, when life throws us a curveball and everything seems to hit the fan and, and our plans and our life is interrupted, when we come into a season that all of us are in right now, it feels like that if there are all the things that we valued, that if you were just to like speak about them one more time, they would just like vaporize into thin air. Like, what are we going to do about my senior prom? Like, what are we going to do about this season of baseball that I was looking forward to? What about my income? What about, what about childcare? What about my friends that I don't get to see? Suddenly, many of us are homeschooling, in effect, our children. We feel isolated. Maybe we're scared of becoming ill. And so we just come, titles aside, status aside, wealth doesn't matter. So we just come desperate before God. Well, John says that this man came to Jesus and he begged, but he didn't just beg, like he was pleading with Jesus. And the, and the word that he uses there does is the word for my son, but it also has a connotation as a term of endearment. This man comes before Jesus begging and pleading, and he says, help my little boy. He's my boy. He's my flesh and blood, and he's dying. Help me. Now, Jesus' reply seems harsh, but it's not. Jesus is not just talking to this man, but this crowd has begun to gather and has been following Jesus along the way because this crowd has experienced and heard rumors of this miracle worker. And so when Jesus speaks, he's addressing this man, but he's also addressing a wider audience. Look in verse 48. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. See, these people had heard of what Jesus was capable of. They had heard of the water into wine. Maybe some of them had been there when it happened. And the rumors of this miracle worker from Galilee were spreading And I imagine some of these people, this was like a show. They're gathering around for the next thing that Jesus is going to do. And there were vendors selling peanuts and glow necklaces. And they're just all gathered around waiting for Jesus to do something amazing. Now, this man, too, must have heard of the rumors of the miracle worker from Galilee because he traveled 20 miles to come to Jesus and say, please come heal my son. But Jesus knew something that the crowd didn't know. And that was that miraculous signs never, ever instilled lasting faith in anyone. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take this opportunity, this man, and he's going to challenge this man to go beyond the demand to see something for himself. And yet Jesus is going to challenge him to still believe. So in the middle of this noisy crowd, this crowd pressing in to see what's Jesus going to do next, 
And I don't know if you feel this way recently, but we have never felt more isolated in our homes and away from school or maybe work or our friends. And yet there seems to be still this noise, this noise of, of the text messages or the email or, or the video or the TV and or all the people in our home. We've never felt more isolated and yet still maybe we've never felt like we've been in such a noisy place. And so this man gathers really close to Jesus, and he leans in to Jesus. And in verse 49, you see him. It says, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. He finds himself in a place that he's never been before. Title, pride, wealth, stripped away. Desperate, in a really low, low place. He's heard of Jesus' power, and now he's sure that if Jesus would just come back to his house and touch his boy, that he would live. So what does Jesus do? Well, he takes the opportunity to ask of this man what he would ask others for generations to come. He's going to ask this man to trust him based on the testimony of other people. So verse 50, this is Jesus' response. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started for home. Now, Jesus' word here that he uses for go is interesting. Literally, Jesus says, I just want you to go someplace. Just go. Like it literally means to, to make a linear motion from one place to another. Just go someplace. Go about your business. Jesus didn't say, now go with urgency or you got to hurry home and see what's going on. He simply said, get up, just go and trust. And we say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, you want us to go now? Like, do you know what's happening right now? You want us to do what? You want us to trust in what? And you want us to go without you? Like, you're not coming? Like, how are we going to pull this off? How will we know when it begins to unfold in a way that we didn't see coming, that we didn't plan for? And that's exactly where we are right now, isn't it? We are asked to take Jesus at his word based on the word of eyewitness bystanders who just tell us. We're asked to go about our days, and our days are filled with concerns and fears and nothing normal, seemingly unanswered prayers just to believe as if Jesus really is who he claimed to be. You know people like that. Just steadied in their faith. And it can be intimidating. And it can be inspiring. But is it you? And is it me? See, there was this nobleman 
his power and his position and his wealth, pride reduced to nothing. He's not getting what he came for, but he has to make a decision. He has to make the same decision that people have been asked to make for 2,000 years. Now look what happened in verse 51. John tells us, While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. Now get this, the man's servants leave home and they begin to make the 20-mile hike, a two-day journey back to where the man had gone. And they intercept him on his way home and they flag him down and say, hey, listen, in case it's not too late, don't bother Jesus. Guess what? Your son got better. Right? Verse 52. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. And then chills run down the man's spine. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he rushes back home, and I can imagine the servants are just like, can't even keep up with him. He's going back home. He's running. It's been miles. It's been hours. And he bursts through the front door, and maybe there's his wife and the other servants ready to to celebrate with him. But this dude's been celebrating for miles. And he runs in, and and he embraces his boy. And all of the family member, including his wife, think, what? He just got better. Yeah, it's great. But the man says, no, no, no. Let me tell you what I've experienced. And then he shares with them the story that John just shared with us. Verse 53. And he is in t- his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. So this is where we find ourselves today. We've been asked to believe. Not because someone just told us we should. Not because Jesus even said we should have faith. But because someone who experienced it told us. He told us that Jesus steps into our current reality And he offers words that lead to forgiveness and and restoration and purpose and hope into the fullest version of life. So here's what I want to ask us. I want us to to, to just meditate on two questions then this morning. The first one is this. Can you believe Jesus' words? Can you believe them? The second is this, will you behave as if you believe that they're true? Will you, church, just move linearly, just go someplace? Will you just go? Will you just do? Will you go tell? crazy messed up season if you're waiting for someone to encourage you as to what to do now and and how you'll possibly do it this is that moment to pray with me 
Heavenly Father God, you ask us just to take us at your word and at the word of those who witnessed the beauty of your power. God, that's so difficult. And yet I find it so undeniable. Jesus, you know our fears. You know our frustrations. They don't surprise you. But they also do not interrupt your plan. That your church would shine, Father. Oh God, that your people would come to you and believe and move and tell. Father, you are worthy of our trust. I love you, and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.